0: Tonight, we're going to look at God's word in Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to look at a question that we struggle with Why did this happen to me? We're going to see what happened to Joseph, and I believe God can speak to all of us in these words in Genesis 37. It's interesting because in Genesis 37, verse 4, it tells us that Joseph's brothers, and it seems like all 10 of them, hated him. They hated him because of his dreams. And then later on it says it again in verse 8. They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. This is amazing in a family where they were brought up to love each other and to love the Lord. Moses' ten brothers, excuse me, Joseph's ten brothers hated him. But let's see what happened even more starting in verse 26. Verse 26 of Genesis 37 says, Judas said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern where they had put him, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? And then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and they said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. Jacob recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and he mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept over him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. That's where we end the reading from God's word for this evening as we look at Genesis 37, and God speaks to our hearts. Dear friends in Jesus Christ, we, before we moved to Cicero, when we were in fifth grade, my twin brother and I were in fifth grade, we came to Cicero... In 1957, but for the first four years of our schooling, we had it in Denver, Colorado, where my father was pastor at the first Christian Reformed Church in Denver. And Denver was a place where they said the sun shines every day. In fact, uh, when we were kids, the Denver Post had a little thing on the front page that said, if the sun doesn't shine any day here in Colorado, if we don't even see a peak of the sun... Everybody can come into this restaurant, a certain restaurant, for a free breakfast the next day. And so that was in there for a long, long time, over a year. And then the day came when there was a day without any sun. But that was one thing that was remarkable about the weather in Denver. But another thing we found as we were growing up is that every afternoon, the day would often start as a beautiful sunny day, like this morning was. And then almost every afternoon, about three o'clock, you could almost set your clock to it, all of a sudden, the clouds would come in from the mountains, and all of a sudden there would be this downpour, this storm would happen, sometimes hail would come down, and it would just, the water would just flow down the gutters almost every day. There were times when the Valley Highway, it was I-25, we call it that today, but the Valley Highway, it, it, we would watch the cars as they were floating in it because of that sudden storm in the afternoon, even though almost every single day the sun shone. but You see, what happened is, these storms came without warning, they came suddenly, and then suddenly they were gone. But I think what we know is that in our lives, sometimes... storms come to our lives just as unexpectedly. All of a sudden, when we least expect it, when we're not thinking it would happen to us, another storm comes to our life. And the question we ask God is, why did this happen to me? Why now? Why did this happen to me and why did it happen to us? And sometimes we're awfully puzzled because it seems as if It goes contrary to what we believe in God, the God who is so good and so loving and so kind, who watches over us every day. Why is it that we face storms that sometimes seem impossible in our lives? And we just simply don't know what to do as we ask the questions, why? You know, that can happen, for example, with somebody who's in business, and I've heard of people who have this. They're in business, and everything is going calmly and quietly, and the business is going well for such a long time, and then all of a sudden, something happens, and it's out of their control, and they find that it isn't calm waters anymore. Sometimes it's something with an employee, or sometimes it's something in the economy that changes, and suddenly we're not making the profit that we need and we can't pay all our bills and suddenly there can be huge storms and we say, what did I do that caused this and why is God allowing this? Why did it happen to me? Or it can happen to us also in our relationship with others that sometimes somebody will accuse us of something and say that we did this or we did that and it's totally untrue but... The rumor spreads, and pretty soon other people hear this, and pretty soon other people believe anything that they hear. And so pretty soon we say, how did this happen to me? Why am I having to defend myself, and I never did what they said? And sometimes when you're falsely accused, your question is, why? Why am I having to spend energy on this? Why did this happen? And then I think of what happens in many families. Things go smoothly for a long time. You raise your children and you raise them and send them to a Christian school. And you're careful of which friends they're with. And you try to do everything. You pray for them. You just try to set them on the right path. And for a long time, it feels as if everything is smooth and calm And then in some families, all of a sudden, out of the blue, you can't believe the storm that's occurring within your family. You can't believe sometimes the tensions that are there, and you say, who is this person? I never expected this to happen to our family. I wouldn't have ever guessed it five years ago, three years ago, that we would be in this situation now. And you see, it's just like those storms in Denver. They come quickly and unexpectedly, and that's What happens to us? Well, when I think about that, then I think of Joseph here. And I think of how we never know when the next storm will come. And for Joseph, it's remarkable because this passage, Genesis 37, he's only 17 years old when his whole life goes upside down. And it's so interesting because he has these 10 brothers And I think of Jacob when he thought about this and he knows there's this tension in the family because Joseph has had these dreams and in these dreams he sees the stars bow down to his and he sees the sheaves of wheat bow down to his. And Joseph has these dreams and he shares these dreams. And then Jacob must have thought, what's happened to our family? Every one of my sons hates him. They all hate him. The Bible says it twice. They hated him even the more the next time a dream came to him. And then he's 17 years old, and Jacob says to Joseph, now go out and check on your brothers. And they're in a place called Dothan. And so he brings them supplies. He's going to check on them as they're out there. And he just goes along, and he comes, and he sees them from a distance. But they also see him at a distance, And one of them says to the other, now imagine a family, you know, sometimes in families there's tension and sometimes there's little fights, but they hated him. Twice the Bible says they hated him. So one of the brothers says to another one, let's kill him. Let's just kill him. And no one disagrees with that except for one of them that says, well, let's throw him in a pit first. So they throw him in a pit, an empty pit cistern a place that normally is filled with water but the bible says it's dry and and try to imagine what that's like for Joseph as they strip him of the coat that their father has given to him and then they put him in this cistern and he can't get out he can't climb he can't get all the way to the top and we don't know you know we kind of pass over this but we don't know if he was there for hours we don't know how long it was But we do know that he was absolutely helpless to escape from these brothers that hated him. Stripped of his robe, can't you imagine him calling to him, Levi, Asher, Simeon, help me. I, I won't say anything. I won't say anything about any dreams again. I just want to get out of here and go back to dad. No one helps him. Ten brothers. No one rescues him. No one speaks up for him. Imagine this impossible storm he's in. But the interesting thing now, if you really think about this part of the Bible and what it says to us, it says it doesn't get better for Joseph. It gets worse. It's like going down the steps and just continuing to experience one storm worse than another because they see some merchants coming. It's a trade route here in the Palestine, and there's a tradesman coming from probably Egypt and going back and forth. And they say, Let's take him out of the cistern. Let's sell him. That's what we'll do. Imagine that. And so they haul him up as these Midianites come and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. You know that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver in the New Testament. And Jesus simply wanted to do his father's will. Jesus was the innocent one. Well, in many ways, here's Joseph. And all he wants to do is love God, serve God, wherever God might put him. And he just wants to be faithful and he loves his father. And this is what happens to him. He's sold 20 pieces of silver. Imagine if that would happen to you, but even worse. He's going with these foreigners. He doesn't know their language, and I would imagine he's 17 years old, young and strong. They must have shackled his hands and probably his feet. I'm sure they didn't let him ride on some animal. He was a slave now. He was their slave. They could do whatever they wanted with him, And as he tried to explain, as he's shackled and as he's walking to a strange land, it turns out it's Egypt. And as he goes on and on and on and he tries to talk to these people, I have a father who loves me. I have a family, just let me go. Nobody understands him. Nobody is ready to let him go back. Things, the storms sometimes in life just seem to come one right after another. Because then it gets worse. He gets all the way to Egypt, and the Bible tells us that the Midianites, at the end of this chapter, they take him, and they also sell him on the market to be a slave in Potiphar's, Potiphar's household, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Meanwhile, and just to be even more cruel, imagine this. The brothers, Joseph doesn't know this, but the brothers take his coat we call it the coat of many colors, but it was, the Bible uh, literally says it's a richly ornamented coat. It must have been different than anyone else. It's very special from Jacob. And they kill a goat and they put it in the blood. And then imagine these brothers, they bring it to their father and they say, look, is this your son's coat? As if they didn't know. And Joseph tears his clothes, a symbol of my heart is torn. And he's torn with his grief. And he says, yes, I'll never see him again. He must have been killed by a ferocious animal. Imagine doing that to your father. Imagine having brothers like that. But meanwhile, Joseph is in Potiphar's household. And the interesting thing is that it gets worse for Joseph. It doesn't get any better right away. He's 17 years old. He's 18 years old. And he's in Potiphar's household, and the Bible says repeatedly, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, remember that. But meanwhile, Potiphar's wife looks at him, In the next chapter it says he was handsome, and he was strong, and he was young. And Potiphar's wife decides when her husband is gone to try to force him uh, to lay in bed with her, and he, she tries it, he gets away, but she keeps his cloak as he runs and says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? Joseph's heart, you see, was in the right place. He simply wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He didn't want to do anything wrong, and what happens to Joseph next? As he refuses her advances, she tells Potiphar that he tried to rape her, and he's thrown into prison. Now I've been visited and I've been in many prisons. I went to Cook County Jail to visit someone who was there from my church in Orland Park for a whole year. And when I would go into that prison, it was not an easy place to go. There were lots of guards around, but at least it was not at all like a prison in Joseph's day. In that day, prisons were often underground. They couldn't see out. They couldn't see sunlight or daylight. It was a filthy place. There weren't three square meals a day and a nice bed with sheets on it. It was a horribly filthy place. It was a place that was despicable in every sense. They were lucky if they got enough food each day to eat. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was there for some time. But it gets worse. And for Joseph, and sometimes in our life, it seems like we're just going down the steps in life. One storm after another. Why is this happening to me? Here's Joseph, and uh, there are two people who have dreams. Again, dreams come into the picture, and he's able to tell them what their dreams mean. And then as one of them is able to go back into Pharaoh's household, he says, remember me when you go back. He said, oh, I will. But he forgets Joseph. And the Bible says, very explicitly, Two more years, Joseph is in this horrible, horrible prison, completely forgotten by everybody. Even the one who he helped to rescue from that horrible place forgot Joseph. Two years down there. And I'm sure that there are times when Joseph wondered, why is this happening to me? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? And then finally, Pharaoh has a dream, and no one can interpret it. And finally, the baker, he realizes what that dream, that Joseph had uh, been able to interpret his dream, and he tells him about Joseph. Somebody could interpret my dream. And Joseph is called, and Joseph interprets that dream of Pharaoh, and then he is put into a complete... Completely different position. second in the kingdom. A famine is coming, Joseph said. That's what your dream means. We're going to have seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine, and you must be ready. And he said, you're my man. You'll be in charge for seven years of putting the storehouses full for the seven years of famine that you say are coming. But think of it for Joseph, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, until he was 30 years old, 13 years, it was a steady decline of one storm after another for Joseph. And all that Joseph wanted to do is what God would call him to do. All he wanted to do was serve God. And yet, he must have asked sometimes, why is this that all of this is happening to me? You see, sometimes in our lives, the storms come and the dreams that we had of what our life might be like Sometimes our dreams are destroyed. And, and we think, well, this is what God must want me to do, and this is what God is going to do in my life. And then our life is turned upside down by a new storm. I think of a young man, some of you know who he is. Uh, he was a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. His name is Dave Trevecki. And Dave Trevecki got cancer, and he got it in his arm and in his shoulder. And he had to have lots of chemo, and he had to have radiation. And he prayed, and he was a Christian, and he wanted to just use his talents in baseball to serve God and to be an honorable um, pitcher. And so by the grace of God, the doctors worked with him. He had so many treatments, and after a certain amount of time, he got on that mound for the first time again to pitch in a game against Montreal. He was thrilled to be out there. He warmed up, and he got his arm all warmed up. And then, and they say you could hear it through the whole stadium if you listened carefully, he threw that first pitch as hard as some of those guys do, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour, and there was a crack as his shoulder shattered. They did x-rays. He laid there just writhing in pain as they took him off in a stretcher. And Dave Trevecki was examined, and they said, your cancer is full-blown in your shoulder. It's got to be amputated. Some of you have seen him speak, and he's talked about his experience, and he's got no arm and no shoulder. It's just caved in here on one side. And he speaks about how God is the one who brought him through this time when his biggest dream of how he could serve God was shattered, as his, his shoulder was shattered. Even after all the treatments he had had earlier and now, he could never play again. His dreams were gone. And he must have asked at first why, even as he knew that God would bring him through. But you know, it can happen in any life. It can happen in your life and mine. I think sometimes it's a good thing that we can't see ahead what's going to happen in our lives. It's a good thing because God says that he gives to us his mercies fresh every morning and then we sing that song based on that great is thy faithfulness he says that his mercies are fresh every morning his faithfulness is so great he will always be there for us but it's sort of like the wilderness when there was a manna all over in the morning for the children of Israel and they went out in the morning and they looked and there was all this white stuff and they called it manna which means what is this but they picked it up, and it was food, and they were so hungry. And the Bible says, God said, each of you take only one cupful a day. I will give you enough. Don't take enough for two days. It'll spoil on you. And go out there and take what I have for you, or you're going you're gonna to be short. If you don't take it in the morning, it'll be gone. And sure enough, some of them decided, well, I'll wait till later on. And they looked out, and all the manna was gone. Others said, I'm going to take two cups and I'm going to save one for tomorrow. And they did that. And whatever they saved the next morning, it was rotten. No, you have to do what God says. His mercies are fresh every morning. And we learn as we go through life and we never can look ahead, only God sees ahead. We learn to take one day at a time and we learn that his mercies will be sufficient for us. His mercies are fresh every morning. You don't need dying grace until the day that you die. You don't need it a day or two earlier. You need it on that day. And God says, I will give it to you when I'm ready to take you home. So the question we conclude with this evening is this. How can we move on from our question, why is this happening to me? How can we survive the storms of life that are going to come to us. How can we find a way to do that? And then I look at Joseph and I see with Joseph there is a way to survive. Because it's so interesting that all that happened to uh, Joseph, even to the point where his brothers came for food during the famine, he forgave them. He never held it again. How could he do that? And how could he continue to keep that faith Well, I think the first thing we have to realize is that Joseph really believed in the God that's revealed in the Bible. He really believed in the God whom his father Jacob knew and his grandfather Isaac and his great-grandfather Abraham. And he had heard the stories about how God had been there for them in all of their storms. And so he really believed in the God who loves us and who is there for us even when we don't understand what he is doing in our lives. In other words, another way to look at it is this. How do you look at God? How do you see God? And for some people, some of us have been brought up to think of God as a God who is only far away there and doesn't really care about what's happening in my life. Some of us have been uh, raised to think of a God who is, yes, he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient, and he is omnipresent, But my life is so insignificant, God couldn't possibly care. And we really believe that he's simply that far off God. But then there are those of us who have come to learn what God says. I make covenant with you. I'm a covenant God. And our God, and especially as we look in the New Testament, says, I love you so much, and I care so much about you that I've given you my son, Jesus. And I love you so much that I've allowed him to die on the cross so that you can come to heaven to be with me someday, and so that you can live a brand new, different kind of life. You've got to learn to trust me. But you see, I believe Joseph did that, because the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And I believe God gives us today such wonderful tools, and Joseph didn't have some of these tools that we have One of the tools that God gives us is his whole word, all of the scriptures. You look through it and you see consistently how our God never fails his people. He never turns his back on us. He says, my love is an everlasting love. Not because we're so good, not because we're better than anyone else, but God has chosen to give us a love that will never let us go. I think of what Jesus said when he said, no one can snatch you out of my hands. I give you eternal life, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. And you see, when you learn to believe that, and when you look through the Bible, and that's one of his tools he gives us, and you see the stories like these where even though Joseph had no idea why this was happening, why things were going down, 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 why it is that everyone else had forsaken him, when all he wanted to do was love God and serve God, then you learn to trust in God. There's an old Andre Crouch song that says, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. The last couple of days, I've been with my brother as he was dying in the hospital in Butterworth Hospital in Grand Rapids, and I was with his wife, Nancy, and I could see how ill he was. And he knew He trusted in the God who we trust is our only comfort in life or in death. And Harold had the opportunity to talk to each of his children, tell them how much he loved them, to talk to his wife. And then he said, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. And he said, I'll see you in heaven. By God's grace, As we know the God of the scriptures, we learn to trust in him in life and in death. What a blessing it is to know that you're not alone as you pass through the valley, through the shadows, and through death. That you know that his goodness and mercy have followed you all the days of your life. And that then you're going to dwell in his house forever. I put on my Facebook this morning that Harold had died, and I said, You know, we were always competitive when we were young. But I said, Now he beat me to heaven to the finish line. And he did. He's 18 minutes older than me, and now he's gone to be with Jesus. But you see, God gives us his word, God gives us his revelation of who he is. How precious is that to you? And even when the storms come and even when things happen in your family and even when things happen to you personally and you can't understand the storms, God cares. Cast all your cares upon me, he says, for I care for you. But he gives us not only his word, he gives us the avenue of prayer. And I believe Joseph had that tool. Joseph could go to God day and night. He could pour out his heart to God. And God cares to listen, but the Bible says, God says, when you call upon me, I will answer you. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you will find. And sometimes we have to keep knocking and knocking, and finally the door is open to us. That's the God that we trust in. His promises, every one of them are true. But I think he gives to you and to me something else, and that he gives to us fellow believers, friends to support us when we're going through our storms. Joseph didn't have that at all. All he had was God. But by God's grace, he gives to us a Christian community. He gives to us others that are there, that are saying to us in our time of need, I'm praying for you. I don't know what it's like for you right now, but I'm praying for you. I'm there, and I'll be there, and I'll walk with you. And you know, in a sense, when we're going through a time like that, It's Somebody else can be the arms of God, loving us with God's love for us. I had a time in my life when I was being falsely accused of something and I was going through a terrible time and uh, Claire Lanning, Jr., Claire that's in the hospital now and paralyzed after the accident I've told you about and you know Ken's brother. Claire was with me through this whole ordeal. And I remember as he was there in a very specific way one time, I could just feel that he was was the arms of God for me to rest on while I went through the terrible and one of the most terrible times of my life. God can give us people like that. Sometimes it's a sister. Sometimes it's a brother. Sometimes it's somebody else. But God gives us people who care and walk with us. And so we can learn to trust in Jesus, and we can learn that. We can move on from asking why to saying, Lord, I'm putting my trust in you. I don't know when things will change. I don't know how it will change. But someday, I'll see that you have redeemed me from the pain of this situation, and you've given to me uh, your blessing of your presence through it all. There's a beautiful song we used to sing and it's the song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Some of you remember when it was sung at the Billy Graham Crusades and Ethel Waters used to sing that song in such a special way. Well, We're not Ethel Waters here tonight, but I want us to sing that song. The words I believe will be on the screen and it's the song, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely? Let's sing the song, His eye is on the sparrow and I know he's watching me. over the birds you watch over the flowers you watch over the grass but you watch over us in such a special way thank you that our only comfort is set in body and soul in life or in death we belong to our wonderful faithful savior jesus lord give us strength whatever storms may come in our lives help us to keep trusting in jesus we pray it in your name amen